Well, lovely to be here with you all this morning. I very much enjoyed the biscuits. I shall miss the biscuits very much. I feel, obviously I'll miss you as well. (laughs) Biscuits are so delicious. Um, And uh, for those of you who don't know... Oh, exactly. Um, My name is Christy. I have been coming to this chapel for many moons now, since the year 2000, I believe, when it was a little tin shack in there. We had this built in 2004. Um, So I have been running the children's youth group for a really long time, I think since about 2003. Not running it, but helping at the children's youth group. And... um, and I sometimes come up and talk, but not often. I like to not do it too much. <laughs> because one of the things that you may not know about me is that I'm actually not a very organised person. I tend to live things and do things at the very last minute. I always, I, Simon, who's not here, can attest to a time I, more than once, emailed him at 6 o'clock on Friday evening asking him to print something for Connect, which starts at 6.30 on Friday evening. Um, and I tend to just kind of live my life as I go along. Sometimes I do plan. I have planned this morning. You'll probably be pleased to hear once you see the side of my notes. No, I haven't. There's not that many notes, don't worry. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, I also, that comes out in lots of parts of my life, one of which is writing stories. I love writing stories. And I'm actually, um, I've been writing since I was probably about 19, and 99.9% of the stuff I've written will never see the light of day because it's absolutely dire. But <laughs> I have put some things out on, on websites, but it's just I wanted to just say that actually if you are loving something but you are terrible at it, there is nothing to say that you shouldn't carry on doing it because if you love something, do it. If you love baking and all your cakes are flat, bake anyway. And if you love drawing and all your drawings are terrible, draw anyway because no one should tell you whether you should or do something. If you enjoy it, do it. Anyway, that's the other word. That's nothing to do with the world thing. But, um, and I, even with stories, I will, lots of people will have plans and they'll write out what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. They'll have it all organised. I tend not to, I just write, as I, I can guarantee every time I've written the first sentence of any story I've ever written, I have no idea where it's going, literally none. And then often it will come as I'm going along. And then one of the, well, I think my record is that I wrote something once in, in one book that I didn't understand, it was about a girl's hair being tangled, <laughs> high-octane thriller stuff that I write. And I didn't, and 60 chapters later in another book from another point of view, I discovered why it was tangled, because I was writing something. I thought, oh, that would work really well with why her hair was tangled. And it just magically came together, and it was not on purpose, it just happened. And that's kind of how I live my life, because I wing it. God does not wing it in any way, shape, or form. So we're about to come into this amazing week that we've got, um, this Easter week, which is one of the highlights of our lives as Christians. And um, it's the highlight of the year. It's so much more powerful and meaningful to us than Christmas. We love Christmas, don't get me wrong, love Christmas, but Easter has so much more meaning to us because it's how we get saved. It's the the story of how we get saved. And God knew before any single person was on the earth that we would need to be saved. He knew that we would mess up and he knew that we would need a way to get to heaven because we could not get there ourselves. Because every time we do anything wrong, we've basically stopped ourselves from going to heaven. Even if it's only one thing in your entire life. Because to get to heaven, you need to be perfect. And he knew that we would not be perfect. So he came up with a plan before he even created humans. And then when humans came, he spent thousands of years 
writing little hints about what was going to happen this week through the whole of the Old Testament, which, for those of you who don't know, the Old Testament was written before Jesus was born. And in the, I once did, and I don't, I used to do youth church, we don't do it so much now, but I did a youth church, and I told the whole story of the Easter story, and every single verse I used was from the Old Testament, because God knew what was going to happen, he wove it through the whole of history, so that no one could say it was an accident, and that it was last minute, not problem, unlike my hair tangling story. He wrote it all down beforehand, and he had, um, and that is where we start, so... I'm going to read you the verse, this, and then I shall carry on. Um, So Mark uh, 11, from 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people were standing there and asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, if you want to follow along, I believe it's on page 1015. (laughs) So, we are beginning this Holy Week. So, this is Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and it is the beginning of the end. He knows that he is coming in, essentially, to die, to be murdered, to be tortured. And um, so, that, that is the first step for our redemption. And it's a really pivotal moment. And 600 years prior to this... Um, was written, God had put it on the heart of Zechariah to write, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that was 600 years before um, we had, that this day happened. He had written it down. Because God... Uh, wants us to know that this is no accident. And he wants this day to be noted. This is actually quite a pivotal day. It's quite key. And so as Jesus is actually staying outside of Jerusalem, and he goes into Jerusalem every day. And this is the first day he's gone into Jerusalem. And as he's on the way in, the crowd just start spontaneously yelling shouts of praise and throwing things before him. And um, that's because, and it's kind of weird. You think, well, why did that happen? And the crowd does follow a crowd, but also God wanted this to be noted. He wanted people to sit up and, and, and look at this day. And this was a pivotal day for Jesus. And um, so they were shouting. And uh, one of the things they were shouting was Hosanna, which if you aren't familiar with the Bible, you can see that there's a little tiny letter A by, by that word, which means that if there's a little tiny letter by it, that there means there's something written underneath about that particular thing. And it says underneath that Hosanna is a word of praise, but it also means save. Oh dear. 
It also means save. So when people are shouting Hosanna, they're shouting save or saviour. And the psalm that they shout, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is another little bit of um, history being interwoven into the, the present day at that time. It was from Psalm 118. And Psalm 118 also talks about the day that Jesus is going to be rejected, which is happening in a week's time after Jesus rides in. It talks about his rejection. It talks about the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And that, that's why I chose that last song, because many times in the New Testament, it refers to Jesus as being the cornerstone. And what, it, what the rejection that he's going to face is, sorry, because this is a bit of a spoiler alert, he's about to get crucified. He's about to be murdered by the very people he's come to save. So I'm sorry if you didn't know that. Spoiler alert, that's next week. I shouldn't have given it away. But he is about to um, face... Face death, he is about to face death. He's getting the ultimate rejection. And the same words that people are using to shout praise at him are come from a place where they're talking about in a week's time where they're going to reject him. And so God put those words on their heart because he doesn't want us to forget that this is a plan. It's not accidental. It's, it's happening because he wants it to happen. And then I was looking at so this. It doesn't say in this, but in John's gospel because this is in all the gospels this bit and in john's gospel it talks about the fact that they throw palms not just cut branches and palms are you were used in those days for celebrations of victory so they're calling jesus victorious when they're throwing palms on the ground and also in the day of david they were used to denote royalty so they're calling him royal when they threw the palms um, on the ground and throwing and spreading the cloaks on the ground was always a strange thing to me that they would spread their cloaks on the ground. But um, the Greek word for spread here is stronomi. 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 <laughs> Pick however you want it to pronounce. I'm sure it's somewhat right. And essentially it means spread, but it also means spreading couches and divans and beds, which is a really odd thing to spread. And why would they use that word for this particular meaning? And um, I did a little research, and it turned out that the Romans used to do this ceremony called lectisternium, which was where they would drape, spread cloaks over, over couches, put on a symbol of one of their gods, and then they'd spread them all over the streets. And it was a way to welcome gods. So I thought, when they were using that word, they are, and they're spreading their cloaks, they're welcoming him, welcoming him, welcoming him as a god. Which is, you know, all this meant that in all of this stuff that they're doing, they're calling him the saviour. It's all part of God's plan. They're calling him victorious. They're calling him royal. They're calling him God. They're welcoming him, him, him as God. And it's all such a massively important thing that they can't stop themselves from doing it. They probably don't even understand fully what they're doing, but God has put this thing on their heart. And actually the words that kept going round and round in my head the most, weren't even from this gospel, they were from the gospel of Luke, and um, which I shall go to and read to you. So at this point, when all this is happening and they're all being shouted, shouting praise and what have you, um, the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And um, that kept going around in my head. The stones will cry out, the stones will cry out. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And I was like, well, what did Jesus mean by that? Did he mean this? 
Did he literally mean that most of would be doing that? Or did he use picture language, which is what he did all the way through his life? And if he did use picture language, what was it that he was trying to say when he said the very stones would cry out? And um, in Romans 1.20, it talks about um, that creation is a way that we see God. That by seeing creation, it's evidence of God's existence. That he is um, visible in creation. And so I think Jesus is saying that creation is going to speak the truth, even if you silence people. And I have a little illustration for you. So, I have two boxes. Two very exciting boxes that have not got floor or vitalite in them. Um, and I'm going to describe them to you, and you have to decide whether you think that what I'm saying is true or false, what it, whether it is true or false. In so, in box number one, I can't. Oh yeah. We have something that every single person in this room will have seen. And in box number two, we have ev- something in this, bo- in this box that nobody in this room will have seen. Not only will nobody have seen it in this room, nobody in the entirety of history of mankind has seen it. And in the future of the whole of the rest of mankind will ever see it again. It is a one-of-a-kind event. Now, I'm not saying which one is true and which one is false. I'm not saying that both of them are true or both of them are false. It could be any number of those things. So, who thinks it is true that this is something that everybody has seen? Hands up if you think it's true. Well, a few people. Hands up if you think it is false. Okay. Hands up if you think it is true that this is something that nobody in the entirety of mankind has or will ever see. You think that's true. And hands up if you think that's false. Okay, well, there we go. Well, okay. Well, let us reveal the truth. So, in here we have something that not even my sister has seen, and it's hers. It's her fun pops membership card, which I've been holding since last June. I was meant to give it to her, and it's been in my wallet ever since. So, you can take that back. So, um, I'm afraid that was false. Nobody has ever seen this. And what is in this one? Aha! You might think a deck of cards, everyone has seen that, but. No. This deck of cards is shuffled in such a way that nobody in the history of mankind has ever seen it, and nobody will ever see it again. Because mathematically, and I got my godson to help me this earlier, the chance of someone shuffling the same shuffle ever again is one in this many. Isn't that outstanding? That's amazing maths. I love maths. I can't do it. But I love (laughs) Apparently, it's... I don't even know how to say that, by the way, so I'm not even going to try it's mathematically pretty much impossible for any shuffle to be the same, two shuffles in a row. So, but my point is, so go ahead and Thinking that this was true didn't make it true. And thinking that it was false didn't make it false. And thinking that this was false didn't make it false. And thinking that it was true didn't make it true. Your opinions had no bearing on the truth or the not truth of what was in these boxes. And that is what, is what Jesus is saying, is that, you know, our, what we believe actually has no impact on what is actually true. And what we say has no impact on what is actually true. So when Jesus is saying about the rocks calling out, he's saying truth is standing of its own accord. Creation is going to speak the truth. Whether you silence me, whether you silence my people, the truth is standing out there. And the truth is what, people are, what the people were doing, remember they were saying that, He is the saviour. 
He is part of God's plan and was written through the whole of books thousands of years prior. He's going to be victorious. His victory basically ensures us in a way to get to heaven because what it says in the Bible is that we have to be 100% perfect 100% of the time to get to be in heaven. And that's not me. And I'm loving you all very much, but it's none of you either. And so what, we, and what, what God says is that actually um, the, the payment that you get for doing something wrong is to die. You don't get to live again in heaven. So what has to happen is somebody who has never done anything wrong, Jesus, has to die. And then whoever says to him, please, can you take my sin? I trust you and I believe in you can have their sin taken but you have to believe in him and you have to ask him he won't take he will take everybody's if everybody in the entire universe asked him he would take everybody's sin on them there is nobody who cannot go to him and say can you take my sin but you have to ask him beforehand so anyway that was something but and they're saying that and he is royal and he is god and that is what this even nature is declaring and even if the pharisees wanted humans to be silent about it it just wouldn't happen because you cannot deny who Jesus is. So I'm going to challenge you this week. It's very short and short, I'm done. Um, I'm going to challenge you this week to think about what I have a ponder on the truth and the falsity and your opinion on uh, what your opinions are and what you believe. And I challenge you then to pray and ask God to reveal what his truth is. And um, I, I challenge you to do that. And let's pray and then we can have some more singing and some more.